That intro song was Night Forever by Miguel Johnson from his album, The Explorers. You can find a link in the show notes to check out this and many other awesome songs on his multiple album. The video component of today's show, a very special interview, will be courtesy of Commander Das Exorcist of the SPVFA with a, a sort of ambient... Uh, footage, uh, video footage, followed by a slideshow put together by Commander DJ Wiley of a compilation of pictures from the Distant Screws Expedition. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special episode of Elite Week that will be also appearing on the Loose Screws podcast feed. Uh, Today, I have in with me Gambit, Bruce Garrido from Frontier Development, who's popped in to just have a little talk about Elite Dangerous and all things in the Elite Dangerous world. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? Hello there. I'm doing really well. How are you? I am really, really good. So, okay, right off the bat, I'm just going to hit you with uh, the Brucey bonus. How many times have you heard of the Brucey bonus in the last couple of weeks? And are you getting sick of it or do you find it to be... Um, I think that's very funny. I'm, mm. I'm, uh, I'm an advocate of the phrase Brucey bonus. Right on. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you're they, so they threw you to the wolves, and right on your like sort of very first, uh, very very first stream, you know, you were you were there answering questions while Stephen was uh, you know bounty hunting in his uh, in his chieftain, and someone asked off the cuff about the fleet carriers, and you were like. Oh, you know, it's going to add new and interesting mechanics and new novel gateways to gameplay or whatever. And everyone in the entire community just latched onto that like rabid beavers and they weren't letting go. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I said anything like specific about the content itself, but even a, you didn't. a general, a general nope, you, statement about it. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, it seemed to be a lot more than what was uh, said recently before that. Oh yeah, no. I mean, you, you. To be clear, you didn't give any specific thing away of like, oh, you said this or you said like you didn't. But just there was such a hunger for any morsel of information that even just a sort of general conceptual concept uh, or or uh, phrase or whatever like that was taken as like a massive good sign, and everyone that was like nothing in the entire community. Nobody talked about anything but that phrase for like a solid week. Oh seriously? <laughs> I didn't even yeah. really notice. It okay. was it was queued up and replayed. People had it queued up and on all the different discords you could go and like you clicked on the stream and it just jumped right to that exact second where you said the phrase and everybody was like, Okay, all right, this is it. It's happening. Yeah, that, that really goes to show how hungry everyone was for it. <laughs> For sure, for sure, man. So let's let's jump back just a little bit and get into your background. Um, first off, I know because I've already heard briefly sort of uh, the 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 description of your Discord title. But for those who haven't heard yet, where does Gambit come from? Gambit. Uh, so Gambit was the well, where it really comes from originally was it was my pseudonym. Um, or online sort of a name while I was working at Jagex, um, mm-hmm. the uh, the game studio I was at before Frontier. Um, mm-hmm. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, everyone who works at Jagex um, is known as a, a J-mod or a Jagex moderator. Um, and everyone has their own like uh, sort of nickname. 
So I was previously called Mod Gambit. And I chose that name um, not because of X-Men, uh, but <laughs> even nerdier than that, um, because I like playing chess and Gambit's obviously a type of opening or uh, maneuver. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's, I, I'm sure, because I know when you first said it, you kind of explained it that exact way where you were like, yeah. And I'm sure people were thinking like, oh man, he's that, that weird uh, Cajun dude throwing cards at people. But, <laughs> but no, you're talking about your, uh, you're talking about your opening moves in chess and whatnot. That's cool. All right. Right on. And tell us a little bit about your, you know, sort of background and what, what brought you to Frontier. I mean, you know, as far as like, did you go to college for games development or, you know, what have you? And I know you worked at RuneScape, so give us a little bit of your CV. Sure. So to answer your first question, um, not at all. I'm not um, professionally qualified for video games. Uh, I've got my degree in psychology uh, in the end of 2018, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and... From there, I had a friend who I played RuneScape with as, as sort of a, a kid and as a teen um, who was already in Jagex uh, in the player support department. And he was my reference. Um, and I got in there. So it was really just a sort of, um, I sort of stumbled into it, really. Uh, and from there, after about eight months, the community manager opportunity for Old School, which is like the, um, the classic mm -hmm. version of RuneScape, um, so they one. backed up. Well, <laughs> I, I think so. Um, they they backed up RuneScape as it was from 2007, and relaunched it. Um, and it, originally, it was meant to be a very like small project. I, I can't remember the size of the team when it kicked off, but it was something like five people dedicated to it. Um, mm. But it ended up just being massive, um, and oh, eventually yeah. as big, oh, yeah. if not bigger, than the the main version of RuneScape these days. Oh, I um, think OSR is definitely bigger than current RuneScape. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, a community manager role opened up, sort of, and I was at the right place at the right time. Um, and then I did that for a year. And then, um, yeah, just reached a point where I was looking for something new. I wanted to expand my sort of horizons and repertoire a bit. And I was looking for other opportunities. And um, there was Frontier. So I, I hopped in. Right on. Right on. That's, that's awesome. I think. It, especially sort of in an MMO background or whatever, I would be interested to know how often you find your sort of professional training in psychology to be uh, a useful asset. Uh, I think it's been useful. Um, it's, it's a funny one because obviously with psychology being just essentially about how people think and how they behave as a result, um, it's very general. Um, and obviously I only got uh, a bachelor's degree, so I didn't specialize or take a master's or anything. Um, but having a sort of rough understanding of, you know, group behavior and the way people attach to things at an individual level, like say a passion or a video <laughs> game. Um, yeah, it's, it's been useful here and there, uh, and for, um, building relationships with, with players. Yeah, man. And I mean, there's all kinds of like weird psychological mechanisms where, um, for example, you could talk, a, I'm just going to make it just an abstract reference, not even, you know, you could talk about the difference in say a price of a thing. And if you raise it by 5 million credits, 
versus if you lower it by 5 million credits, like the lowering of it by a certain, by the exact same amount has less impact by the raising of it. Like people are much more sort of acutely, acutely psychological aware of, of anything that they sort of perceive to be a loss or taking away from, or, you know, anything punitive or whatever. Are there, mm. are there interesting things like that where you look at sometimes and someone might suggest something and you, you look and say like, hmm, you guys might want to consider this. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you touched on a couple of couple of things that uh, go into um, into game design, even. So, uh, for example, it's it's much nicer to release something that's underpowered and then buff it than to do the reverse, right? Um, like you say, pe- people are um, people are naturally, like you say, loss averse. So they're they're much more scared of um, losing something than they are excited about winning something. Um, I'm. I'm super interested that you just randomly chose that as a concept. Uh, the <laughs> you idea say randomly. Of- I feel like the question was a little bit leading. I think I understand the subtext here. Um, I'm, I'm dealing with <laughs> professionally trained uh, psychologist here, so yeah, I guess I uh, I can't be as sneaky with the, the how I lead things. I, I I know immediately what you're poking at. <laughs> so I think, of course, the, I'm uh, talking about SRVs. Mm-hmm. SRVs, yes. Um, Largely, I'm actually referring to, so this was much more relevant to me while I was at Jagex. The old school team being so small and close-knit compared to um, most dev teams in in the industry and also just the dev team on on RuneScape. Um, Community managers were much more, well, we were embedded in the development team and we had a lot more say in um, the actual design of stuff. Mm-hmm. as well as the balancing. Um, whereas at Frontier, um, it's a bit more separated where the design team um, come, like we, we get to weigh in and you know they'll, they'll take our opinions into account and advice and stuff, but uh, maybe less so at the actual conceptual stage. Um, so any sort of uh, plans on um, the way things get introduced or released, um, maybe a bit less pronounced to us than they might have been while I was at Jagex. Mm. Interesting. It's interesting the different philosophies that different companies take. Because I mean, I, I I know of stories that I've heard from other sort of people uh, with regard to other development companies that you know, where whereas you guys might have been a little closer to the design team at Jagex, there's other companies where their stories are that like the community team is not even in the same building as the development right. team, and they are very much like. Here's the finished product. Now your job is to go sell it, and we don't really, yeah, sure. we're not looking for <laughs> sort of a two-way street of information here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest differences <laughs> I encountered moving from from one to the other. Um, old school is possibly, well, the most possibly the most uh, community-centric game I've even seen. Mm. Um, obviously, they've got a polling system whereby. Uh, Almost all the content that goes into the game has to get 75% support by the player yeah. base before it's yeah. even put in, which is absolutely wild. Um, well, I mean, the whole game is an exercise in that. Like, old school RuneScape was a thing that was literally created as a response to sort of fan demand and fan 
like longing for saying, hey, it's just kind of similar to like old school WoW, where the, the, right. the, the community said, hey, we, we like the old one better. Can you please do, <laughs> turn back a lot of this stuff? And yeah, yeah. to their credit, Jagex was like, you know what, let's let's look into it and see if it's feasible and see what we think the numbers would be. And they decided we'll start this. And they started it, as you said, very very sort of conservatively as a small like a little project but it has quickly grown it, it was only it was it was expected to fade out after like a few months you know um but now it's like uh it's it's a breadwinner as much as runescape main is for, uh, for jagex um so yeah I, the there are benefits and uh cons as well to that system so mm. we're, we're very much mm. constrained by the community's current attitude or um, where they're at sentiment-wise. So mm-hmm. say say something's like upset the player base generally, um, that, you know, rightly or wrongly, uh, that makes it much more difficult to communicate with them, get genuine feedback and ideas and suggestions and actually really integrally affects the development of the game for the next few weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas where uh, a development team has the reins a bit more on what's going to be made, what changes are going to happen. Um, they're a bit less constrained in that way. Mm. So, which is which is something more like what Frontier and I think most game studios have, is yeah. Um, yeah. the community will be, you know, listened to an advisory, but not the driving force behind the development. Um, and like I say, I think there are good points and bad points to both. And how it affects me as a CM is before I would have been much more part of the, uh, the design process. Um, mm. But... On the other hand, uh, somewhere like Frontier, there's an element of that, but it's also much more about um, just maintaining the relationship with the community and sort of communicating, uh, focusing on being like the communicative link instead. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I had an interview uh, earlier in the week with 100 Point Rub where we discussed our contrasting opinions of the fleet carrier project uh, as a whole. And he made the the statement that the... You know, community management team are the mouthpieces of the company. And, you know, that's just a fact. And I told him that while he's correct, that is a fact. It's only half of the fact that in the system that com- that Frontier Development uses, the community management team is the mouthpiece of the company to the community. But it's also the mouthpiece of the community to the company. It runs both ways. Right. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually an awesome thing. That's a that's a plus. Like, of course, like to say, OK, well, we're not going to have a community management team. We're just going to have our dwe- our devs sort of check out what randomly seems to pop up in their feed of Reddit slash checking the forums here and there slash Twitter is sort of a very sort of unscientific and you know you could end up with just a guy getting into a bad feedback loop and thinking that the community feels a certain way when that he's right. getting a, a, a sentiment that is sort of representative of a very small portion of the community but mm-hmm. having a community management team having people to be professional mouthpieces for both ways like I, I, that has such a negative sort of connotation to it where people look at that as a bad thing but it's like no, man, it's a good thing. If you're going to court, take a lawyer. Like, duh. Right. <laughs> it just makes sense. Like, your, your outcome is going to be way, way better. And I, I, I think that, it, you know, we see you being the community mouthpiece uh, or, or the company mouthpiece to us. We see that. 
Um, right. We don't we don't get a chance to see the other side of that. And that's a good thing. Like, we shouldn't see the other side of that. If we saw the other side of that, you wouldn't be doing your job well. Because, like, no, of course, you're. we're not going to see the boardroom conversation where you sit down and you say, hey, guys, they really don't like this idea. Or, hey, guys, they really need, you know, the community has been very, very clear. They're pretty much demanding universal cartographics on fleet carriers. Like, uh-huh. But obviously, obviously, that conversation happens somewhere. Obviously, that's not a thing that 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 just ha- like when you look at the difference of fleet carriers as released in day one of beta one to the difference of all of the changes that were posted, you know, in the first week they posted or well, it was the second week they posted and said, these are the changes that are going to be occurring now that will take place between now and the end of beta one. And these are changes that are for sure happening, but they are going to be happening on beta two to test. Now, obviously, this is not a locked project. None of this is set in stone. Anything could happen in the future. But these were the announced changes. If you look at yeah. those changes, you could not possibly think that that just happened by accident. It was very, very obvious that you guys have been actively engaged in both expressing the ideas of the company to us. There were times where, like, you guys were on a stream, I think uh, the day before those post changes were posted. And in part of it, you guys were explaining like, well, you know, this is why you wouldn't add universal cartographics, or this is why the upkeep cost, you know, makes sense at this rate or whatever, because you are expressing sort of a, a, a set of ideas from the design team from day one, beta one. Right. But obviously you were hearing the feedback from everyone. And obviously you had already expressed that because those changes, those changes don't get decided in an hour. Those changes were probably discussed in a couple of meetings over the course of like a week or so. And, and then, okay, the changes are announced the next day. So like, is it is it difficult for you as a person to sometimes be in the position where you might even be expressing a viewpoint or expressing a talking point from day one, beta one sort of, uh, you know, checklist, knowing already that you guys have discussed this and that you fully expect that, you know, the announcement is coming tomorrow, that that position has been changed. Is that an awkward position right. to be in sometimes? Um, it's it's a bit awkward, but what what's nice is even while I'm expected somewhat to express and represent the views of, um, like say, the design team and the company, um, e- even if I, I agree with, say, the feedback and that feedback's entirely different or contradictory mm-hmm. even, um, I, I don't have to ever present those views and opinions as my own, sure. Um, sure. which is great. Um, so I, I can always, like like you say, it's it's about representing both sides like as transparently and fairly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate you saying that it it's clear that uh, we have heard you guys and acted as the bridge and managed to get like a lot of those important feedback changes in. Um, a lot of credit goes. Like I say, to to the community guys, Stephen in particular, who's worked very hard on fleet carriers, um, but also the devs themselves. I mean, it's, you know, some of the concerns of voices were so loud that you, there was no <laughs> way that they didn't see a lot of that stuff themselves. 
Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there there are there was a time when yeah we knew which changes were coming and we were still having to talk about what was currently currently mm -hmm. there. And at the, that point, the main message really just has to be, um, we hear you, and please just uh, <laughs> allow us a little bit of time to to give those feedback. If I may, uh, changes if I, to the team. If if I may yeah. be a voluntary voluntary community management member for just like one minute, I would like to give this uh, piece of advice to the community. Uh, in a beta process, things change. If you see something you don't like, definitely give positive, constructive feedback and say clearly what you don't like, why you don't like it, and to the extent, like express how much you dislike it. Like, this is a thing that I dislike enough that would cause me to not use this product. But do so knowing that the whole process is about developing and changing the product and maybe do so without lighting your hair on fire or flipping over <laughs> any vehicles or, you know, saying, I quit this game, I'm never coming back. And it's like, okay, next week, the thing that you asked for is going to happen. And well, okay, sucks to be you, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's that's spot on. Um, at the same time, I when I took the, um, the offer from Frontier, uh, I was kind of sat down and explained to me where the community was at, which was it had been a long, long time since an update. Mm. So there was some stagnation, <laughs> let's say, right? Mm. Um, Fleet carriers had been delayed. Mm -hmm. So quite understandably, like player sentiment was pretty, pretty low, at least compared to where it had been for a mm. while. Mm -hmm. Um and in an environment like that, as a player, I, I can totally understand being frustrated and upset and feeling a little bit um, disillusioned or disconnected. Right. Um, right. And then you're presented with this uh, bit of content you've been waiting on for so long and you've got such high expectations for. Um, and then it doesn't meet those expectations in a lot of ways. I can understand that like frustration. Um, mm. And even if it's coming out negatively, that passion is still there and that's really the important thing. Um, oh, if yeah. you can channel that into constructive feedback, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> but even so, I mean, after that first round of feedback changes being posted, um, the positivity and like the the praise for the dev team and everything was was insane and really nice to see. Um, and that's not to say that they're, they're there yet. You know, I, I imagine there's going to be more changes. Um, but hopefully if we continue that line of communication between us and you guys... Um, They'll, uh, yeah. they'll be exactly what everyone wants. But just to be clear, I say that that's a, that's a big that's a big promise actually. Yeah. Um, that they'll be meeting you know almost everybody's expectations at least. And just to be clear, the purpose of this conversation, I I never go into any conversation with a frontier employee expecting to grill you. If I ever hear the phrase from you in this interview, like, "Well, I cannot discuss that," whatever, that's a failure on my part. My job is not to ask you where Raxel is. My job is not to ask you for spoilers on new era or fleet carriers or anything. Uh, my job is to try to get at some of the concepts and some of the things behind sort of the ideas so that people can understand Frontier better and maybe also sneak in a couple of points on the community's behalf where, you know, if, if I can get a little earworm in, in your ear and it, it's a little, it develops a thought and then you take it back on the other side. Hey, that's just a bonus for me. 
But so, <laughs> so for sure, <clears throat> not asking any details of like, hey, what's coming in the May beta? What's coming in the June launch? We're just talking about the process and, and how you found it so far. Um, let me ask you, and this, this gets kind of to that point, the difference of philosophy between a single player game and an MMO, as far as like, what do you see as some of the, the differences in those philosophies? And in the past, Elite Dangerous has sort of straddled the line between those two. It's been, right. you know, it, it, <clears throat> it obviously it it I think it always will contain both modes. It always will contain I, I don't think that there's any chance and I, I would hope that it doesn't ever go away, like solo mode doesn't go away. That's sh- that's a thing that should be there. But when you're sort of designing content in an overall sort of process or with a thought process, it seems to me that Lately, if you look at the people that have been brought onto the projects and if you look at job listings, it's been specifically asking for MMO backgrounds or, or going after people with MMO backgrounds, whether it be yourself or whether it be, uh, you know, Tim or some other people that have come uh-huh. on on the on the back end, on the developer side. Um, tell me, w- what do you think are the difference between sort of those two design philosophies and the pluses and minuses of each? And where do you see, I mean, do you sort of disagree with my read of of how Frontier seems to be moving in a way of like more community engagement, more sort of MMO-like design philosophies that that could possibly bring some smiles to people's faces coming up? Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> so, it's uh, first. It's very perceptive of you to see who who's been hired and with what backgrounds. Um, whether or not there's some agenda behind it, I can't really say. That's not because I'm not allowed to, but because I hadn't actually really noticed that myself. That said, um, it could be more than a coincidence. Uh, it's definitely the case that you look at an update like Feet Carriers. Um, it's very much got a cooperative um, sort of fundamentally it's meant to be a cooperative design it's, it's meant to get players interacting with each other um, which would seem primarily lending itself to, itself to, to open um, more than solo play um, the design philosophy is obviously very different uh, I, I think in general and this is, this is a big generalization um we would like to encourage people playing together more and, and becoming a bit more of an MMO. Mm. Um, I would like that as well, personally. I think when I first came across Elite, um, I had this idea in my mind of all these different commanders, you know, exploring space and occasionally interacting with each other. You come across someone else, you find something they've left or you find some way to cooperate. Um, mm-hmm. The player's sort of interaction is a really nice element. Um, and I would agree that having solo as, a, as an option, you know, is great. Um, but it's, it's maybe not the primary vision for the game um, in my in my book. Um, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what else you, you packed into that question. So just sort of the the thought of some of the different de- de- design philosophies, like to give you an example, and this is just a thing off the top of my head. Um, and But a thing that I want to state very, very clearly, because I don't want it to be glossed over and lost to history. I want it to be 
I want a spotlight to be shown on it so that you can take it back as as data to the development team and to management at Frontier. Mm-hmm. For example, Frontier never has announced before, oh, there's going to be a snapshot for this beta that's going to happen at this day. It's always, we hear about it after the fact. And the fact that for right. Fleet Carrier Beta 2, they announced a week in advance, the snapshot is going to be, I think, on the 30th. So basically, when you log yeah. out on the 29th, you know, have the money, be ready to do whatever. So the snapshot for Beta 1 was announced retroactively. And... right. It's it, it could seem like such a small point that people would gloss over it, but I cannot tell you how many times over the last couple of days I have heard in the community, oh my God, this is awesome. They're telling us for the first time, hey, get your shit ready and be at this location with whatever, because that's where the beta is going to start. And it's such a, it, it could be such a small thing, but it's to us, it's not. It's And I feel like- right. To me, that sounds like the thing that an MMO manager or designer or whatever would know up front. Like, of course, our community is rabbit. They're going to want to know this. Whereas a single right. player sort of designer or somebody in a PR role or whatever would pro- maybe like not even give that any thought. Right. Um, oh, well, it's really nice to hear that that's been meaningful to people. Um yeah, that was something that we noticed from uh, the first uh, the first time around with the base when the snapshot was was announced. Um, some people said, "Oh no, that's that's all right. That was recent enough." That's probably people who already had five billion credits cash, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there were a lot of people saying, "Well, you know, okay, I've missed my opportunity. I've got all my credits in various ships or whatever, um, or that's not enough time for me to now accrue enough to participate in the beta that I would like to, or in a way that I would like to." Um, yeah, we we took that and. We, we said, okay, well, it'd be nice to avoid that situation for as many people as possible <laughs> next time around. Yeah. Um, is it yeah. okay with dev if they mind? We is there and is there any issue with sharing that information? If not, then let's do it. Um, so it's, it's good to hear that that was was meaningful. For sure. Um, for sure. I, I don't know if I draw the same connection with that coming from like a, an MMO mindset. Maybe it does. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's the difference or not. Um, but maybe just it's a more general thing of um, I think I think every community manager wants to share as much as they can with the players, and it's a case of starting from a point of okay, let's share everything or as much as we can, mm. and then rule out things that we can't because of um, you know uh, it being commercially sensitive or a surprise or something mm-hmm. the dev team don't want to necessarily allow the inner mechanics or workings out sorry uh, the inner mechanics being like worked out or whatever it might be sure sure um but yeah fundamentally um we would like to to let you guys know as much as possible in advance to improve your your guys experience yeah i mean just from the concept or you know as far as like some people might be like, well, you know, why, it's never a good idea to not give full information. Full information is always the best policy, but it's like in a relationship, okay, maybe, but for a game developer, you could be in a situation where I'm designing, you know, whatever, I'm designing happy monkeys. And in two version 2.0, I want to have, 
the ability to, we had bananas in the game, I wanna add apples and oranges. And if I say I'm gonna add apples and oranges, and then the design team comes back and says, well, we were able to do apples, we can't get oranges. It's not gonna make that date. We're gonna have to push oranges to version 2.5. Well, then, like we just discussed, people feel uh, like inordinately like, oh, I lost out. I, I only and it's like they don't focus on the thing that they got. They focus on the thing that they lost. Right. And I mean, yeah, that's obvious. I, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, as a as a general rule, um, transparency is is like the optimum. That's the goal. Um, you want to be as open and transparent as possible. Um, so that's a good starting point, but you do have to be smart about the way you deliver information and set expectations. Like you say, if, if people are expecting all of these different fruits, but then you end up only giving them one, well, they feel like they've lost out as opposed to, um, you know, you can then present it in such a way instead. So it's framed like, okay, now you're getting this new fruit. They, they never even heard of like, you know, oranges and apples or whatever, but they're getting pears. Mm -hmm. Um, from their perspective, that's only an improvement. Right. Mm. Um, and it, it, it sounds maybe a bit, um, at, at worst, it sounds manipulative, right? But it's, it's never meant to be sinister or dark or anything. We just want, again, player experience is, is king, right? Um, and it's, it's about making you guys feel happy to play the game and that you're having a good time and enjoying it. Um, and the way that we communicate between, you know, what the development team or design have planned and your guys' feedback and suggestions, like that communication is is absolutely key in, in helping that. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So what are some ways that you feel, and this isn't even directed at Frontier, because that would put you sort of in a weird spot, but let's just make open this up to a conceptual conversation. What are some ways that you feel a company sort of like Frontier, a company in a in a sort of a sim space, whatever, an established property that already has a, a, a very awesome history of a lot of cool products or whatever, but also, let's be fair, has some sort of missteps in the past, as any company would when you're putting out a thing over the course of, you know, a decade, because I mean, the game's been out for, what, like six years now? And, and, and uh -huh. before that, well, like five and a half, whatever. But you have to keep in mind that people were working on it for three or four years before it even came out. So it's been a game that has been in, in, in the works for a decade. There's no chance that everything's been perfect. Obviously, there's been missteps there. There would have have to have been. What, what are some ways that you think a company sort of in that position could continue to strive towards best practices, could, could, could continue to sort of streamline the process and, and move in a way to provide an even better product in the future? Okay. That is a very conceptual question. Um, I, I suppose I have to give a fairly like vague and abstract conceptual <laughs> answer. I that's guess. fine. No, that's completely fine. Um, so yeah, like, like you say, with, with really old IP, I, I say old, um, I think five years plus is, is starting to be an old game, right? Agreed. Um, I'm going to, again, go back to my experience at Jagex with RuneScape, mm -hmm. um, which I think is 19 years old, mm. something like that. It's, it's an old game. Mm -hmm. um, 
we actually, there were, <laughs> when I was in player support, we, we hired a guy who was actually younger than the game at that point, which was absolutely <laughs> wild. Um, he was 18 when he joined. Yeah. Um, so Dragon has a really nice um, situation where a lot of the stuff that they want to introduce and do with old school, they've already done with RuneScape. So they can ask the other development team, okay, how did this go? What went well? What didn't go well? What can you avoid? Uh, what should we do? Um, so they've, they've literally got like almost a perfect twin study um, that they can use to, to drive changes, mm-hmm. um, which has been useful so many times. Um, and I think with, even when you haven't got like a twin game, um, so let's say Elite Frontier, for example, um, you can still look back at things that did and didn't go well, um, even within your own game, just by comparing uh, things that are similar. Mm. So I, I can't really give specific examples, but I, re- I recall from like a meeting quite recently, um, we were talking about, um, and I strictly can't give details here actually, but we're talking no, about the release of um, uh, Next Era. Mm. Um, and I just remember Zach talking about things that went well and didn't go well with the Horizons expansion mm-hmm. and using that as like a framework for improving the way that we release the the new era stuff. And and that's that's really sort of the key with such a long-standing IP and keeping it going, going well. It's just mm. learning from mistakes fundamentally is, uh, is the way that you keep best practice in mind. Learning okay. from mistakes and listening to what the community want, I think. Yeah, man, that's that's very gratifying from the from the man, Zach got got just sort of had a rough time of it uh, a while back. There was a series of tweets and there was some stuff back and forth in community or whatever. And I, I feel like while I understand the sentiment that some people had, they did not sort of give him the benefit of the doubt of just trying to be human and dealing with another human and saying, like, look, where he's coming from. Where, where he was expressing his feelings in that situation was, number one, he had his team's back. He was like, hey, you guys are talking shit right. on my guys. My guys work hard. They're good people. And like, I give him a ton of credit for that because when someone stands right. up as a boss for their team, like that to me is something that is deserving of respect right off the bat. And then secondly, well, go ahead. Uh, well, I'll let you finish. I was just gonna say that's, that's definitely a massive, like that's the leadership quality. I have a lot of respect for Zach. Um, Absolutely. I read the same thing. Um, and yeah, that's, that's part of the reason I respect Zach. I'll, I'll let you make your, your second point. Well, the, the second issue was just the conceptual, the thing that he was talking about, the stuff that he was talking about, he was saying like, you know, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're doing our best. We're trying this, this, and this. You know, some things work, some things don't, but we're constantly working to try to make something good for you. And I sometimes hear some streamers, some, some people in the community, and sometimes it, I, I scratch my head because it's like, dude, if, if you're not having fun, what are you doing still here, man? Like, there's lots of stuff to fill your hours of the day with. But, like, you hear <laughs> specifically to me a thing that I find as just a huge question mark where it's like, well, Frontier wants to punish us with this. Or Frontier, uh, mm. you know, it's clear that Frontier hates the player base and is trying to, like, crush the spirit of the... And it's like, <laughs> um, how dumb are you? Like, they're a company 
they're selling widgets. The more people that are happy with their widgets, regardless of what their widgets are, whether you're talking about Ferraris or candy bars, it's completely irrelevant. Every company in the history of time that I know of, I, maybe I'm, there's some weird edge case that I'm not aware of, but the whole point of them putting out a product is we want to make people happy so that they buy more of our product so that we have money to buy Volvos and pay for our kids' school. <laughs> right. I mean, even... I mean, in, ideally, a game studio actually cares about and wants, wants the game to be like a good experience and fun. Oh, and, like, of course. Ex just generally excellent, right? My, my opinion is that the best games, like a, a fantastic game sells itself. Mm -hmm. um, you actually don't even need much marketing or, or community management even to have a like massively uh, popular and successful game, um, especially for like box releases. <laughs> <laughs> well, I make, the, I make the exception for... Um, for living games, so mm. uh, like like Elite, like RuneScape, for example, where it's important sure. that a constant interaction with the community happens. Um, that's not to say it's entirely untrue for the other games like um, Planet Zoo, Coaster, mm. and Jurassic, um, because they still have like uh, fairly frequent releases and updates, and it's, it's fairly important. But oh, yeah. um, like a boxed game that's not going to receive anything else. Yeah. Um, community obviously is going to play a role in shaping it, but once it's out, it's out, and if it's a great game, it's going to sell. Yeah. Um, but even even if even if you're super cynical about a game studio and you you don't think they care about the game at all, they're just trying to make money. If you're that cynical about them, and maybe you are for whatever reason, they still need the game to be successful and popular <laughs> and good to achieve that goal, right? Mm. Um, at the fundamental level, there, there's no <laughs> motivation for punishing players or making the experience bad, right? Um, it's never going to be deliberately punitive or, or bad. Um, so that is kind of an odd mindset to have. I think I understand where it comes from. Um, and it is sad to see. But um, a lot of the relationship between a studio and, and the player base, I think fundamentally relies on a bit of good faith that both parties want the game to be as popular and successful as, as possible. Um, mm -hmm. and to be a good experience for everyone because that's how you get new players in that's how more people become interested in the game and, and dedicate time to it and make it fun for others to play as well so for sure that is ultimately the goal that we all have for sure i mean i think there is a certain sort of uh prevalent sentiment online these days when you look at anything whether people are talking about you know the government or or covid or or you know, a games company or a movie company or a TV show, anything at all, there is just a certain sort of freedom that people have on the internet to express themselves in the most shitty way possible and to ascribe sort of sinister motives to anyone for anything at any time. And it's like, while mm. I get, and I'm sure, I mean, that's part of your job as a, as a community manager is it's like, hey, look, we can't disregard their shitty sentiments. We have to put on our armor. We have to try to, you know, be bulletproof and 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 take it to the face, but sort of like try to listen and hear through underneath all that shit to the kernel of what may be uh, either 
either a valid criticism or even if it's not a valid criticism, just they're expressing their feelings. We might have to right. turn it down. You know, the you suck and your wife should leave you and I hope your dog dies and I hope your company burns <laughs> to the ground. Obviously, you have to get past all of like layers of crap to that to get underneath to what they're saying is. I seriously care about a thing. I obviously love it enough to be a, a psycho in how I'm expressing myself, and I am upset right. by something. Yeah, 100%. Um, you're actually very perceptive. I, I feel like you've worked in community management or video games before or something similar. Um, just by the way you're speaking, it sounds like you really understand this stuff. I, I um, actually haven't, but I just have tried to put myself in your guys' head okay. to try to see where it's coming, where you're coming from. No, it's very, it's very insightful. I, I, what I found is, um, even with the most toxic players, like you say, even if they're not expressing themselves in a way that is particularly pleasant or, or whatever, um, they're still doing it because they're passionate about the game. Which means there's, even if it's deep down, there's probably some like granule of of common common ground, which is I like the game at least, hopefully. Mm. Um, and from there, it's it's usually possible with enough time and effort to um, to reach a point that's mutually beneficial. Um, there are, and it's, it's kind of sad to say, there are some what I would call not even lost cases, but cases where it's not worth trying to engage because if someone is genuinely spiteful and just trying to ruin someone else's day mm. um, and they're not interested in talking about it, then there's not much you can do. But I found very often, and actually very much with the elite community, it, it's kind of impressed me. Even players who are upset about something or not happy or dissatisfied with a particular aspect of the game. Um, I've spoken to a few of them and, and really tried to understand. Mm -hmm. And they've been open to that. And actually, it's improved the... Um, I, I've had some good results, you know. Um, turn, turn things around for a couple people. Awesome. Um, a lot of it is just trying to make people feel heard. Uh, I think a lot of it is come from, comes from people feeling like they're not being listened to. And mm. then they end up just shouting louder and maybe getting a bit less constructive because they're getting pissed off or whatever. Yeah, um, I get that. But making people feel heard, like people tend to appreciate being listened to. So if you can listen to people um, and hear them out, that often goes a long way. So with regard to like you, you talked about how you you've been in meetings talking about New Era or talking about this, that, and the other, and you know you're sitting there and you're hearing Zach talk to people saying like, well, we have to keep in mind that this was feedback that we had from previous releases. Here's where we sort of need to, to focus in the future or whatever. Um, just in a, in a general sense, how do you see that applying to sort of the philosophy of, like I said, where, where, where Elite straddled the line between a single player and an MMO sort of focused content previously? Where, where do you think sort of Elite in, it, let's say in the next sort of five-year period or whatever, just as a general thing, where do you see Elite moving in the future? Where do you see them, or at least where do you see right now, based off of ideas, just sort of a... If you were to, to, to make a roadmap and understanding 100% that this is not locked in stone and this is not a... There are no hard details here. Sort of what direction do you feel... Elite is going, going sort of in, in over the next period of time. So, as I kind of alluded to earlier with Fleet Carriers, it's a very player interaction focused update. Um, the idea is to maximize 
players interacting with each other mm. um, and cooperating. Um, that's something that's very special about elite these like community initiatives that get put together. Um, I, I only re I think it was only towards the end of last week I saw about the um, the uh, the DSSA the Deep Space mm -hmm. Support um, Array Support Array that was it Yes sir um, and I was absolutely blown away by that you mm -hmm. know um, it blew my mind I've never seen a, a player base so quickly respond to to an update and say okay how can we make the most of this how can we pull together and mm. create something awesome for for everyone else. Um, and that's what I think we're trying to encourage mm -hmm. with the Fleet Carriers update. Um, and I think we'll continue trying to encourage that with future updates, mm. um, including Next Era. Mm -hmm. um, we spoke a bit earlier about, you know, the place of open and the place of solo play. Um, mm -hmm. I think solo play will always have a place. Um, but I personally would love to see Elite um, move towards more being an MMO, even if mm. it means fixing some of the problems that exist in Open. So obviously one of the key ones is that the majority, well, the majority of players in, uh, in Solo are playing Solo because they're terrified of being blown up, you know, undeservedly, mm. right? Um, I think that's something that would have to be looked at or considered um, if Elite was to shift properly into, into being a more multiplayer experience. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I see it going. Um, I see a focus on player-to-player -player interaction, mm -hmm. and uh, I'd be more than welcoming of that. Yeah, I mean, I I could not agree more. I when I first started, I only played in solo for might have been like three weeks or so. I just I I only ever played in solo. I never went anywhere other than solo because I was just like, okay, uh, training wheels, and I'm scared. And of course, the second I go out, I'm going to get murdered. I've heard stories, whatever. And then right. uh, I was like, all right, I have enough that I can afford like a dozen rebuys. I'm good. Um, you know what? Screw it. Let's let's just jump into the deep end of the pond. I live my life in open. I, I only play in open with, with two exceptions. Number one, if there's a community goal on, there, there's just being in open in that system. Not even, I mean, A, you're going to get ganked because every ganker in the system is in one spot. They, they know that they've right. got you in a very, it's like, it, they they literally just they, they they lured you to one spot and that's where you have to be. But also, right. even if you take the gankers out of it, just to be honest, there's there's like it gets crowded and hectic trying to get a landing pad or whatever. It's so the zone that the CZ is in, or the the CG is in in that zone, I'll go into uh, either solo or into one of our groups and just hang out in there because it's just it's less crowded. You can get a parking spot. Congestion. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but uh, and the other time that I will be in solo is if I am, you know, hanging out in Baran farming up low temperature right. diamonds, which right. I, I'm I'm at this point with assets. I'm a little over 30 billion. So I don't really do that anymore. I don't have to worry about any of that. But like other than that, 100 percent of my life, I live in open and it's it's so much more fun. Um, right. Have you I had many go ahead. positive interactions with players that you've just encountered in open then? Uh, yeah, actually, I have had some really good ones. Um, when you go to like Jameson's crash site or to mm -hmm. uh, the Crash Anaconda or to um, 
uh, Dav's Hope or to a Guardian site, there's times where I'll pop up and I'll see somebody and I literally just in open chat, in system chat, I'll, I'll type, you know, 07 Commander, I'll jump into a private uh, group you know, I'll, I'll jump into solo mode and leave you have this because you're already here. So just out of courtesy, there's no point in us competing for the resource. You, you know, right. I'll, I'll drop to solo mode, whatever. But, uh, you know, hey, have you heard our show and happy, you know, happy farming, whatever. And then I jump into the other mode. And I really like about Frontier or about Elite Dangerous that even in the other mode, we can still converse back and forth with each other. The communication in the system chat goes across modes. So even though they might be in one mode and I'm in another, you'll still hear back and forth like, yeah, I'm just doing my loops at Dav's Hope. You know, I'm going to do 30, 30 loops <laughs> and then I'm going to whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's neat. It leads to like fun interactions. With regard to, you know, being attacked or whatever, that can kind of be cool too. It's not, on the one, me personally, my game style, I don't gank people. I don't enjoy ganking people. That's just me. But I kind of okay. dig that people are out there doing it because it adds a little spice to the whole situation. You get that little tingle. When I'm popping into Jameson's, you know... Coming into Shindez, coming into to, to Jameson Memorial, I would say one out of every five times I, I come in, like I'm I'm getting interdicted, I'm fighting off the interdiction. Uh, you know, it leads to a combat or it leads to me running away, depending on what type of ship I'm in. But I mean, that's part of the fun for me. Like, cause let's be honest, you have to be brain dead to not beat an interdiction from an NPC. Like that's, that's sort of the baby <laughs> mode of it. And that's cool. That's fine. I dig that there's a way for like newer players to have a challenge that they can succeed against and feel good. But when you're getting interdicted by a real player, that's a whole other game, man. And that's right. I dig it. I dig it. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. I think for me, conceptually, um, I, I like the idea that space pirates can be a thing. Mm. You know, you can be one or you can be a victim of one. Yeah. Um, but my preference is for it to be conducted, quote unquote, realistically, you know. So if you are a commander out in space and you see someone who's got, you know, um, a cargo full of diamonds, let's say, mm -hmm. um, reasonably you would try and get them from him rather than just blow them up straight away. Yep. Um, and if they don't have anything of value to you, you don't really gain much from blowing them up, minus mm. the sort of sick satisfaction of it, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm totally in favor of people, you know, requesting that uh, someone forks over half their cargo or whatever, um, and then chasing them if they don't. But the blind just hanging out at spots where, for example, you know you've got less experienced players mm -hmm. doing mm -hmm. something or just out of the blue blowing people up um, mm. I'm much less for and I think it's the latter that really puts people off mm. well I'll be honest because um, you can't you, you have to be Mr. Nice PC guy I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I don't work for anybody I can say what I want they're dicks <laughs> but like I, I, I don't approve, approve of what they do and yeah they're dicks they're trolls but the fact that they exist as a challenge for me to have to survive I don't want to give them any more credit than the most minimal whatever but just the fact that there is a you know boogeyman out there that i have to be sharp and be on my toes for i personally enjoy i completely 100 sure. have sympathy for people who have been you know ganked 
especially in the truest term of the word, where gang comes from gang killing, where it's like five guys on one, where it's like, there's, it's just, it's in no way a fair fight, even remotely. I, right. I have the most utmost sympathy for them. But when I get ganked by like three guys and I manage to get away, there's a feeling to that of like, yeah, get good scrubs. Right. And I, I definitely talk shit in system chat then. I taunt them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's me. I'm... I'm a Marine, so I do lots of things that are probably stupid in general, but they give me joy. Awesome. All right. So we sort of talked about where you see it going as far as strengthening the player interactions and whatnot. Um, On a conceptual level with the new era, you know, obviously no spoilers, but conceptually new era, you see the company sort of working more to strengthen, like you said, those 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 group interactions, PWP type things? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I, 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 I'm <laughs> sorry. I feel like, you know what? Let's just, let's cut that because I don't want to... Um, no. We'll just uh, you end. know what? It's, it's not even an uncomfortable thing. It's like, sorry, I didn't know how to answer that besides ah. yeah, I see a bit more ah. of that. Um, yeah. Okay. I can't well, really go into more well, depth. I'm sure. almost at sure. the limit. If that's all right, we will we will definitely talk more about that uh, in January. Let's say, yes, beautiful. All right, let's leave that be. Um, <clears throat> with regard to fleet carriers the, and the beta process as it's gone so far, what are some of the sort of surprises that you found to both? the community reaction to things like best and worst, like things were like, wow, I, I was shocked how much they love this or wow, I was really shocked how much they did not like that or the exclusion of that. And what are some of the things that you feel sort of as you relate it back to the development team that they found interesting? Things where they're like, what, they want this? Or like, oh, okay, hmm, whatever. Hmm, that's a very interesting question. Um Honestly, there weren't too many massive surprises. Mm. Um, a lot of it we'd already seen in the initial reaction from the content reveal. Mm. Um, a lot of like the things that became the main points of feedback during the beta were actually just amplifications of the initial initial reaction. Uh-huh. Um, just trying to think. I'm not sure really. Um, no, I'm <laughs> drawing a bit of a blank, honestly. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it was expected. Um, I say expected. Uh, if it was expected, maybe things would have been there in the first place, right? Um, mm. But mm. Um, yeah, a lot of it was was anticipated after the initial waves of feedback. Well, I mean, I'm just trying to remember some of the just trying to remember some of the smaller things. I mean, one one of the. I say smaller. It was quite a big deal for some people. Was the um, the shift from support vessels to um, having all of the customization options on the actual mm-hmm. fleet carrier mm-hmm. itself? Uh, I suppose one of the things that's complicated the the design and the update is the shift from squadron focused carriers to individual ownership, mm-hmm. um, and that's maybe left a bit of confusion in some of the the players' minds. Um, as, and and also, yeah, like I say, there's this transition from outfitting your ship by having a different support vessel versus tweaking the services that you actually install on the carrier itself. Because um, mm. a lot of people said, where did the support vessels go? 
Uh, <laughs> we want those. Those looked awesome. Hmm. Which is a totally valid question, but I wonder how much of it comes from the actual functional design of the the carrier versus they just looked awesome. Well, I can because answer that for you. I can answer that pretty clearly because <laughs> okay. the company, this was before you joined, the company never released any details of the mechanics of what those support vessels, we still don't know what the conceptual detail mechanics of the functionality of any of them. It was, they were just art assets. Oh, right. We never right. got any details of like, oh, well, we're planning for this support vessel to do these discrete things. We, we have no clue. Right. So anyone saying that as feedback of like, oh, I miss those ships. All they're saying uh. is they looked cool. We okay. have no idea what you guys were planning or what the team before you joined was planning with them. Okay. All right. I mean, I, I don't know much about them because I, I saw them sort uh. of um, in the development stage. I, I mm -hmm. went into a build where they existed, I think. Pretty sure I saw what they looked like. And they did look cool. Um, I If it's not been made public, I don't know how much I can say. I wonder if that was a deliberate decision or not. So I'll keep mm. it super top mm. level. Sure. But my, sure. my understanding of the design was if I want a combat-oriented fleet carrier, mm -hmm. I need mm -hmm. the combat-oriented support vessel. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then same for trading, mining, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the, the problem with that was we felt it was, well, I say we, the, the designers felt that was too restrictive because firstly, players don't stick to one gameplay loop. <laughs> um, and it would have been a pain to have to go and switch your support vessel each time you want to, you know, do something different in your game session. For sure. Um, so sure. instead, we took all that customization and put it on the carrier itself, which made the, the support vessels redundant. That's my understanding of it. Mm. Um, if players are missing them because they looked awesome, which they do, um, that's not to say the assets just got totally wiped and deleted. Of course. <laughs> they may pop up again somewhere else. I fully uh, expected they will. Yeah, like um, you guys spend so money that's... to make them look cool. And obviously in the new era or in whatever is the post new era or whatever, there's no way that you're going to take all of that like, oh, cool looking design stuff and just like, okay, throw it away. Like it'll find a way into the game somewhere, somehow. Right. Um so yeah, but maybe that was just because I didn't have all of the background information on it. Like you say, I was not really around yeah. during uh, yeah. that time. But yeah, yeah, that was something I didn't really understand so much. Uh, to me, getting rid of the support vehicles, uh, my with my limited understanding of between what's been released previously and what you've just stated and, and sort of working it through common sense, like we lost, quote unquote, the support vessels, but... That, uh, that again, that's just an art, art asset. We didn't, I don't think we've lost anything with fleet carriers. I think if anything, the company looked at the, I, I and this is just my read and I, I have no official information. So this is just my read. But I think what happened was fleet carriers were delayed last December because it had been conceptually already like moved a couple of times and rethought and whatever. And as it had sort of continued to change scope and whatever, I think you guys had a product that you were sort of ready to release in December. Someone somewhere, be it Zach, be it Lewis, be it David, be it whoever, someone somewhere at a meeting looked at this and said, guys, this just doesn't wow me. We can release this thing right now but it's just meh and I don't want to do it. Let's take what time we need. Let's push it back and let's release something that's going to knock their socks off. And 
it between December 2019 to June 2020, I mean, obviously the product still is not locked. It's in it's in a state of flux, but between everything from December 2019 to June 2020, I think what we're seeing is more player control, more granularity, more things added, more, more, more. Whereas I think we never got the details, but what I think we were going to get on fleet carriers with those tender ships was, okay, your bounty hunter ship or your whatever ship, or your, you know, like, like you said, limited role. And now you can just say, without having to go anywhere and swap shit out or whatever, if I personally don't give a shit about exploration, but I care about mining, trading, and combat, I can make my ship do that. Or if I don't give a shit about mining, but I care about exploration and combat or whatever, you can sort of like Baskin Robbins style, you can go and say, <laughs> I want a scoop of this and a scoop of that and give me the product and get sort of whatever you want to fit your, your, your tastes. Right, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, in terms of the actual conversations that you refer to that led to the to the delay, um, obviously I wasn't around for them. Sure. And if I was, I might not even have been privy to them. Sure. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if that was the context. Um, I mean, it's, it's like they say, a, a bad release is, is bad forever, right? But, mm. um, you know, a delayed one, okay, you wait for it longer, but uh, it's, it's, it's worth it in the end if, if the improvements are made. Yeah, you um, never get a second chance to make a first impression. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Once man. it's shipped, it's shipped. Obviously, you can patch and tweak stuff, but um, it's the initial release that's really going to stick with with players and also frame how they look at the content forever after. So. Now, that, that said, there's a huge asterisk there, which is ignoring beta. Beta doesn't count on that first impression release forever because as, as we've just discussed, the whole idea of a beta is to start with as sort of overpriced and under-delivering a product as is sort of in the ballpark of acceptable and then collect a bunch of... I think there's a thing where you can sort of... Uh, a, a, a design philosophy or a development process where you can force sort of focus feedback. If you start off and say, upkeep costs are going to be $5 million for a fully loaded fleet carrier, no one is going to tell you and that's not right. It should be around 25 mil for a fully loaded, 18 to 19 mil for a, you know, halfway loaded. Like everyone's just going to go, thank you and walk away. But if you come in right. with upkeep cost is 150 million or whatever, <laughs> you're going to get very long, very detailed, very well-reasoned, very thought out responses from, oh, let's say 52 pages worth of people on a forum just randomly pulling a number and you can I'll look at that and go like oh okay we seem a, we seem to see a consensus here centering around a certain number or a certain range and we can take that feedback to account and sort of adjust it to that range like you can't I, I feel and I could be wrong but I don't think that you can possibly move the number up once you release a number if you move it up on the cost people are just going to bitch and moan so you have to start high and work your way down. With regard to functionality, you have to start low and work your way up. You can't say, ah, eh, we threw in universal card graphics and, cause like no one's ever gonna say like, well, take this out, it sucks. Like, no, you, you have to sort of start with a more limited functionality and then add to it through the process so that A, 
it ends up where it's supposed to be, but also B, no one gets their feelings hurt in the process. That is also very perceptive. <laughs> um, it's kind of like we said before, uh, yeah, buffs are much nicer than nerfs. Um, and also, this is, this is an interesting element of, of game design. Um, I'm sort of, uh, I'm going to give a pre preamble to this, which is I'm not a, a game designer. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've only seen, uh, you know, things from, from my time around people who are. Um, but, oh, I've totally thrown myself off. What was I going to say? About the process, the beta process? Process. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's terrible. It's totally gone from my mind. Um, lost better than nerfs. Nope, lost it. Totally lost mm. it. That, <laughs> that's embarrassing. Well, let's I just apologize. say whatever it was, it was brilliant and concise. It was so good. It was a really like nice, neat point about mm. game design. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I'm willing to grant that. <laughs> should, so. should we cut that out? Nah, I would... it's, all, it's all good. It's all good. Um, all right. So well, I, it's, it's honestly, it's on the tip of my tongue, though. It was... Um, mm. Well, take a minute. Take a moment. It's, it's completely fine. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ramble in the general sense and see if it jogs anything. So like the the sure. point was about how you can you never get a second chance to make a first impression, but you can't really take that as concrete in the beta because the whole pro the beta isn't it doesn't count. It's not released yet. It's just the right. company trying to work out the parameters of where it's right. And also too, they have to take into come to account. There's a certain thing where you as a game designer have a vision for a product you want to put out and you have to kind of remain true to that regardless of what the community says. But then also as a sales entity, you have to take that feedback in and you have to find sort of the middle road to be true to both without abandoning either, sort of. It's it's totally in relation to that point, but it's honestly gone from my mind, I think. Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry about that. No, that's no, that's <laughs> completely it's completely fine. It's completely fine. Yeah. Let me ask um, you just changing the page just a little bit here. What have been some of the challenges of sort of working from home in this whole COVID situation been and as a side as 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 part B to that, are there any sort of unexpected bonuses where you've been like actually this this bit's been quite nice or whatever? The commute is much shorter. <laughs> um, yeah, I think generally it's been quite nice, actually. Um, mm. I enjoy working from home. Uh, I'm very fortunate that I work in an industry and in a role where everything's pretty much digital. So um, working from home can still facilitate everything that I need. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I actually prefer it. I find that I'm just as productive um, if not more so. There are downsides, but uh, you obviously lose like the, the office atmosphere element and you know I can't just walk over to someone else's desk and have a chat or, or anything like that. Mm. But um, mm. we're, we're staying, staying very connected constantly. We, we have like, um, so the CM team uh, does a stand up every morning where we just sort of touch base and see see who's up to what. And just, um, it's, it's also, it's not just like about work is, is also about seeing everyone else's face, you know, mm -hmm. um, and staying in contact. Um, but yeah, no, everyone's like nice and responsive and there's no, um, I personally don't feel isolated or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I'm 
sort of all, all circumstances aside, uh, I'm actually kind of enjoying it. So have you have you done any like big conference calls where it's like, you know, 30 people that it would be a thing that would be done at the big, you know, conference table down there at the science park. But you, because it's now you can't do that. So you're literally sort of sitting there in, in, in boxer briefs and a T-shirt and, you know, you've got, you know, an egg <laughs> McMuffin or whatever on the table and you're sitting there listening to everybody do their thing. And you're like waiting to make your point or whatever. Has, have, has have you had any of those surreal situations yet? <laughs> um, I actually haven't gone to work in my underwear yet. Um, <laughs> as, as, as tempting as it is. Um, there have been some big meetings uh, where... Um, so usually we'll have everyone on... Uh, we use Microsoft Teams, mm -hmm. so we'll usually all be on video. Um, but when you've got a big meeting of like anything more than sort of six or seven people, uh, the way Zoom works is it'll only show a handful on the screen and then when someone speaks, they'll sort of become one of the featured uh, camera feeds. Mm. Um, so if it's a meeting where I've got more to, to hear than to say, I don't mind sort of, you know, just putting myself on mute and sort of uh, mm -hmm. almost like <laughs> spectating the meeting more, mm. <laughs> more than being in it. Mm. Um, but that's, that's actually quite rare. Generally, actually, most of the meetings I'm in are with either the rest of the community guys or another department that we're working closely with on a project. Mm. Um, in which case, there's normally max four or five people, so we're all quite active and, and involved anyway. I'm picturing you, like, you know, you hit the mute button, you're walking around, you're flat with a laptop, you're, like, microwaving <laughs> a burrito, and then right as David Braben goes, uh, Bruce, do you have the numbers on that that we were looking into? And you're sitting there with, like, a burrito up to your mouth, like, ah. Uh. That'd be the absolute worst. <laughs> That's my personal nightmare. Uh, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> okay. All right. And this one, okay, this one's going to get sort of to a more serious, uh, serious side. How does sort of ECM, which obviously, you know, happened a week ago as far as VECM, um, uh, LaveCon question mark. I'm like 99.999% sure that LaveCon is not happening because it's, I mean, I don't think it's been officially announced yet, but I think it's obvious to everyone like it's not going to happen. And GamesCon right. has been officially canceled. How right. do these sort of events being canceled affect things from, from your standpoint? Because, I mean, <clears throat> so I had like said in December, in January, I had said like, here was my prediction for the way Frontier was going to roll things out through the year. I said, they're going to give some little teaser at, um, at VECM about fleet carriers. There's going to be some, some teaser, some trailer, some news, some something. And then fleet carriers are going to be released in June you know, right before LaveCon. And then like two weeks later in LaveCon, <clears throat> Frontier's gonna do a teaser trailer of New Era, just a little something just to, to sizzle the crowd. And then GamesCon will be the big full, like full trailer with details and lots of stuff <laughs> talking about and hyping up New Era. And I mean, obviously right. that was just a thought process and that was before COVID was a thing that we, whatever, all of these events that I've mentioned have been canceled. And like, 
How does that sort of throw a monkey wrench into your whole, your guys' whole sort of process for how you market and sort of community manage to build hype and excitement and whatever for this whole range of products that you've had for the year? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I, I suppose this would maybe, maybe affect like the product team and the marketing team even more than the community. Um, team because like you say it's, it's quite common for announcements and, and releases and, and any communications about that sort of thing to um to go hand in hand with the big events mm-hmm. of the of the year um from, from a community side we're maybe less worried about that because um it's not really for us to to say when those happen or how they happen mm. um in terms of how it's actually affected me and how how we work um Obviously, v, VCM was, I would say, a massive success. Um, Absolutely. The, the Hutton guys and everyone else involved in putting that together did an incredible job of making the event, you know, as close to as it would have been, mm-hmm. but digital. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put on an, an incredible, incredible event for everyone. Mm. Um, and that, that was, you know, our sort of input and involvement in that was, was minimal. They really did so much work. Um, and from a community standpoint, that was a massive success. Um, so we've, we were very happy with that and what they achieved. Um, but yeah, in terms of like, I, I don't know historically, having not really been around for them, but I don't know historically how many updates or releases would have been announced with um, with ECM mm. or the other mm. or, or Lavecon. Um, but I know this year we didn't particularly plan to make any big game-related announcements. It was much more about focusing on. Um, community engagement and just being there and you know mm-hmm. helping uh improve the interactions as much as possible mm. um in terms of how the the other events like you say you mentioned LaveCon, you mentioned gamescom um i'm not so privy to all of that stuff but i, I think obviously with gamescom possibly being the the recent big one um to be to be cancelled i know that alternatives are being considered um I think much like VCM, it's a case of seeing what digital possibilities there are mm-hmm. and, and rebuilding plans around that. But mm. uh, as I said before, as a community guy, that's a bit less my um, remit. Do you think, do you, I, while I agree with you that what you're stating is an accurate fact pre-COVID, I'm not sure that that's an accurate fact sort of now. I think you may end up with the marketing side, you know, having whatever, they're gonna scramble for whatever game plan they put out. But I think you may end up having the marketing side reach out to you guys a lot more to say like, hey, we need you now where we wouldn't sort of as much before. We need you now to be sort of, we're gonna draft you to be an arm of the marketing attack on this because, we just have sort of more limited ways and we have to think outside the box for how we can sort of do the marketing role in a no more than five people within a building at a time sort of way. Yeah, no, that could that could well be. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if community had to be a bit more involved in that stuff. Um, yeah, but uh, it's, it's also important to remember, I mean, the way sort of the structure works is um, it all comes under sort of 
publishing, like the publishing arm of Frontier. And within mm-hmm. that, you've got community, you've got monetization, marketing, PR. Um, and I think, you know, all, all of those different disciplines will be involved in sort of reworking the plan to, to adapt to this mm. COVID mm-hmm. stuff and going a bit more digital. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. I get it. So, all right. You guys have done so many more things already in in the last sort of month. If you look at the amount of streams that you guys have been on, the amount of interviews you've done between, you know, our show, Lave Radio, uh, being on stream with Psyche, being on the Thursday birth breakfast club or, you know, just uh, so many that you you did a a great sort of sit down with uh, Exegius, like, so many things you guys have done reaching out and then stuff like the movie night, the, 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 the movie night thing that you guys did where you guys, you know, everybody watched Jurassic Park together or whatever. Um, right. There's just been sort of a full court press to be able to try to creatively sort of engage with the community and not just the community of elite dangerous but the greater the frontier community whether it be planet zoo or planet coaster or jurassic world groups or 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 you know or elite dangerous or what have you and and what are like this 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 whole process what have been some of the sort of neat things that that or moments that you can just personally touch on where it's like, oh man, that was just a, a real kick in the pants or like, oh, that was, you know, I just, I, I just loved being on with Burr and Rainey or I just, whatever. Just what are some of your personal highlights of this whole or sort of saga? Okay. Um, sure. It's, it's kind of a, I guess you would use the word corny answer, but um, all of it has been a highlight. Um, I, I'm very grateful to work somewhere that sees the the relevance and the importance of embedding with the community um, through appearing on streams and interviews and radio shows and, and just literally talking to you guys. Um, that's important, uh, especially at a time where people are feeling more isolated or distant, um, you know, literally being being separated because of the, the situation. Um, one of the first things that happened after we transitioned to working from home, the community team sat down and, and said, okay, how are we going to continue engaging people and making sure everyone feels connected and, and getting involved? Mm-hmm. Um, and out of that arose the plan for the, the movie night and appearing on streams and, um, and all the things you're talking about. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'm very grateful that that's the approach we're, we're taking. The fact that we're being given time to, to do that is fantastic. Um, but yeah, in, t- in terms of highlights, um, I don't want to name names because that would imply that some were <laughs> not as good as others, right? Um, I've enjoyed all of it. I haven't had a single bad experience being on anyone's stream or or uh, show or interviewed or whatever. It's it's all mm. been fantastic. Awesome. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll let you get away with that just from the standpoint of... A very, very diplomatic answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, it's it's your job. I get it, man. I get it. All right. So you mentioned that sort of at Jagex, when you were doing OSR, there was a very sort of, hey, 75% of the community has to be for any development and yada, yada. You had like a a very, very tightly directed 
community directed sort of mandate. Right. Let me ask you a question here. <clears throat> there are some things that I've seen personally, like, for example, um, multi-crew. Let's just be honest. And I, I'm going to be critical of some previous aspects of game mechanics, but I'm not doing it in a way of like, your game sucks, whatever. Like, this game is awesome. Yeah, no, no, that's cool. That's cool. <clears throat> um, multi-crew has been a disappointment with regard to... Um, being multi multi crew uh, core mining was borked for the longest time, and in January okay. you guys actually got it. Like you fixed it. It works now, and it's awesome. And people are super super happy about that. Being able right. to multi crew and wing at the same time is still a limitation, and I think. Uh, so for a okay, multi crew and wing is sort of a limitation. Multi crew in AX. Is 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 a power wing at slash multi crew with AX is still a problem. Um, you have the invincible Thargoid heart issue. You have the dupe heat issue where you could just get this weird heat feedback loop of like you just massively overheat in a way that is clearly not by design. It's like it's it, it multiplies by each of the different connections. The way you guys do the the, uh, the sort of uh, player to player connection issue instancing or whatever <clears throat> and. Though some of those issues have been issues for a long time, um, with regard to, for example, uh, and, and in fairness, I should say, with the Thargoid Heart and the Heat issue, both um, those while those are old issues, I think it's like issue number one seventy six on the issue tracker, and we're now up into the seventeen thousands or whatever. I will say that while they have sort of languished for, they did languish previously for a a, a, a extended time without getting what I feel and what some would feel is their proper sort of attention. I must say in defense of Frontier, <clears throat> they are now clearly working on it. In the January uh, pass, the, the January bug fix, they took like th two or three separate there were like little mini patches within the patch where they're like, okay, they were like, okay, we've announced, we fixed uh, multi-crew slash wing for Thargoid, you know, the dupe, the, the the invincible heart. And it's like, nope, you didn't. Oh, crap. We're getting, send us more feedback. Okay, we've got this one. Maybe this did it. Nope, you didn't. Okay, shit. Send us more feedback. Maybe this one. And like, I, I'm not a smart guy computer-wise. Like, I don't know any of this shit. So for me, the, what I just look at is like either A, the company is being silent on the issue, which means, you know, you don't have any direct proof that they're working on it. Like, maybe they're working on it and maybe it's just on the list somewhere. Or you're hearing actual stuff like, okay, we think we got it. Give us feedback. Oh, shit, that wasn't it. That tells me there's no question there. You're clearly working on it. And if you... I would be shocked if when fleet carriers are announced in that bug fix patch that's supposed to come with fleet carriers. It's already been pre-announced. It's not, this isn't a spoiler. I would be shocked if at that point there aren't further steps to like address those issues, whether they'll be successful or not. I mean, I hope, fingers crossed, but like you can't fault the company for like really working on a complex problem. And if it doesn't happen saying, okay, shit, we're going to need some more work on this and we're going to get back to you. But like you're getting work on it. You're getting sort of progress every they say nasa there was a nasa guy that said that every failed experiment is one step closer towards success you know right so 
<clears throat> with regard to some of those issues, with regard to um, CQC, CQC was broken for like a year or more where PS4 players, when they died, they would just respawn. They wouldn't respawn like everyone else. They would get kicked to a black screen. And that got fixed in January and it's successful. And the CQC PS4 community is super thrilled and happy. And they're, they've come to life again, which is amazing. Un, uh, an unexpected thing that you guys added in the fleet carrier beta was just like, oh, oh, by the way, guys, you guys have been asking for it forever. Here, you can queue up for CQC out in the world now. Like when you're getting a little stir crazy because you've been scooping and scanning and you're out there exploring on the other side of SAG A and you're just tired of exploring and you want to go pew pew, you could do that. Right. I see a lot of sort of older quality of life issues <clears throat> that I see have either A, been recently fixed or are sort of on the agenda. It's clear that things are things that people had kind of assumed were abandoned and had stated in a sort of snarky way for the longest time, like, ah, these are abandoned. They're never coming back to this. I'm seeing those things get attention and I'm seeing those things sort of get right. And I, I, with the, the statement that was made by David Braben at the, the investment dinner that has been quoted sort of widely quoted around where he said, you know, that the new era will see a significant underlying, wait, a significant refresh of the underlying code base. And I'm not asking you to comment on that because I know that's a, not a thing you could do. But when you see a bunch of all of these sort of older player, multiplayer interaction things get fixed, like, oh, for still yeah. one that needs to get fixed is you can't multi-crew with an SRV? Like what? Like, when you start to see some of these things get fixed, and then you hear a quote like that that was was quoted from a you know a, a public uh, uh, event, mm -hmm. to me, and, and, and you know your statement about how players are like the future, like the new era, and 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 the the sort of future is more sort of designing towards player interactions where players can do things functionally together. I can't help but put all of these things together and say that like. It seems like there's a lot of quality of life issues that have kind of been hanging out there, maybe because, hey, spaghetti code, we can't fix this right now. This is going to require like there's times where players say like, man, this is just easy. Just fix it. And it's like, uh, hey, asshole, you don't understand the 10,000 lines of code that are going to have to move in order from A to become B. But like with all of these things, when you put it together, what I'm seeing, I, what I hope I'm seeing is a serious sort of commitment by Frontier to go back and close a lot of these sort of loops that have been sort of neglected by by necessity or by whatever and 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 to make a lot of these things sort of whole. Um, right. What are your thoughts on sort of quality of life issues and how you think, you know, going forward, you would like to see a lot of these quality of life issues addressed? Hmm. That's another big question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm going to reference again my experience at JX for this, I mm -hmm. think. So there is a constant struggle, I guess is the, the best word, between fixing current issues with the game mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. producing the new shiny thing that's going to totally change the experience so fundamentally that um, 
players who recently quit come back, new players come in, or existing players tell their friends about it, and mm-hmm. all of those mm-hmm. things drive drive the game forward. Because um, obviously that's the goal, right, of any development team, is, is to keep the game progressing and, and building and getting bigger and better. Um, but you can't ignore the little things for too long because together they become big things. Um, and that's one of the constant challenges for any development team is creating the list on the development schedule in such a way that the game is a good enough experience that you free time to to build on the build the improvements. Um, I don't have much insight into how the development team read the issue tracker and um, decide what becomes the priority or has become a big enough issue that okay we're willing to halt developments on the next thing on fleet carriers on new era because this needs addressing mm-hmm. um, and maybe maybe with a bit more time and a bit more understanding of the issues that are on there um, like I say I, I've been a frontier for seven weeks now mm-hmm. um, and honestly some of the some of the issues that you listed are, are actually new to me I don't know all of the intricate details of those um, so I'd maybe require personally a bit more understanding of how severe each one is and Sure. I could sure. maybe pass that along sort of accordingly. I would like to think that the development team would would listen if we told them, look, hey, um, bearing in mind the schedule you guys have got planned for the next releases, mm-hmm. um, we think this has mm-hmm. become such a big issue that we can't ignore it before moving forward. Um, I expect and hope that they would listen. Um, but yeah, like I say, it's it's that constant balance, I think, between, between the two that uh, is, is very difficult line to walk um and for some of those things you might not even want them to fix it now for some of those things it might be like hey guys if you just chill in december with the new refresh to the code base or whatever we can tackle this way way better than we could now we could sort of hodgepodge together a bad fix now you know we could give you a band-aid now or we could give you an actual fix that's going to make you happy coming up, it's way more return of, on investment for our time for us to just, you know, push that one until then. Right. Yeah, 100%. Um, that's, again, just one of the one of the details of, design, well, creating the dev schedule that um, most people don't see. Hmm. Um, Jagex and Old School RuneScape in particular had famously this problem. It became a meme. Um, which was any sort of fundamental changes to mechanics that weren't like typically any any like mechanical changes that were really fundamental required engine work um, and in the community engine work sort of became <laughs> synonymous or code for things that are never going to happen mm. Um, mm. just through the cynical nature of players saying well okay they've they've discarded the idea because it requires a change to the engine which is very old very fragile very confusing mm. um and mostly built out of spaghetti um but when we did get a change in the engine by one of the uh the engine developers it allowed so many cool things to happen um which were either new or to fix an old thing mm. um and yeah like you say without that some sort of hacky semi-fix could have been made um, but then that's time not being spent on something else uh, it's, it's a lot of it comes down to just resourcing and working out the cost and benefits of each um, 
each bit of content that dev time has to be spent on. Okay. And sometimes okay. that results in players. So if I'm if I'm a CQC player, and there's there's a bug or an issue with it, because that's the main thing I care about, I feel like I'm being um, disregarded uh, just because the thing I I'm interacting with isn't getting fixed. But what I'm not seeing is all the other changes and fixes and new things that are allowed to happen with that time to other parts of the game. Um, and yeah, that's that's one of the things is just trying to keep everyone happy and keeping it fair while keeping the interests of the, the game as a whole in mind. Yeah, man, for sure. So there's a very strong sentiment in the industry as a whole that like, uh, I think it, it, it summed up pretty much by, uh, I forget, what's that guy? Chris, whatever, uh, Metzen, the, the, uh, the Blizzard guy, where he went up uh-huh. Uh, on on at BlizzCon, he went up on stage and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, classic WoW. You guys think you want it, but you don't." And then right. a year later, when it got around to they actually did it, it was like, "No, we think we want it, and we do, and it's a massive uh-huh. success." Just and and sort of the idea of <clears throat> like you're talking about with J- Jagex and OSR. There, there it seems to be a sort of very strong feeling of sort of community empowerment with regard to a lot of these projects. And mm-hmm. with that in mind and with your background in mind, I want to pitch a hypothetical to you, which may go absolutely nowhere and just be a fun thought experiment for the two of us. But it may hopefully, maybe, I don't know, lead to a thought down the line that, that becomes a I thing. I will open my notebook. <laughs> All right. So... What about the idea of the community management team opening a QOL, quality of life thread in the forums where they just open up the floodgates and say, everyone pitch us your ideas of not, you know, like, oh, I want space legs. I want atmospheric land. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody wants that. They're big stuff. Okay, whatever. But like, little things like a a pet peeve of mine that I've been had have had for forever is like in Firefox in in the like late 80s early 90s I could put bookmark bars so that I could or folders so that I could organize my bookmarks however I want I would be so happy in this game in in Frontier if I could open up the, the galaxy map and just if uh-huh. there was just a button to create a bookmark bar or a bu- folder rather, and then just right. I could have a folder that just said engineers, and and I click on that folder and there's all my engineer bookmarks. A folder that said materials. Click on a folder. There's a expedition. Boom, there it is. You know, whatever yeah. combat, whatever, whatever kind of thing you BGS, whatever thing you're interested, fuel rat, whatever. If you just had a folder. And it's, it's not something that is held on the client side. It's literally on my, it'll be still on my PC. So yep. it, it it's just a folder and the ability to put stuff in that folder. This is stuff that every uh, internet, uh, what do you call it? Internet, uh, like Internet Explorer, Google Chrome, what are those called? The, every, every tabs? Yeah, every web page, web service, every whatever, every one of those has your operating system for the web, your internet stuff. Every one of those has had that. Browser, there you go. I'm an idiot. Every browser going back to the 80s has had that. Like, 
and and they're very like it's just a very small whatever that would be a, for a quality of life issue for me that would be like oh my god i think you would be shocked how the flood of happy people sending you messages about that would be like bookmark folders so okay the thought and, and that's just mine i'm just using it as an example i, I kind of got sidetracked there and then made my full pitch but if you guys opened up a thread <clears throat> that was run by the community management team where people could just throw in their flood of ideas like we want this i want this the little things the little quality of life issues then yeah. <clears throat> maybe if you guys pulled from that and said like cuz cuz this way this puts you in a position where you don't have to be in an awkward spot of sort of saying no per se you could just okay we got 10,000 ideas we randomly or, or not randomly, we we pulled, you know, eight out that we, the community management team, say, hey, that's clever. That's a good idea. That will be a good thing for people. And also, we think, not too hard to do. Like, again, right. the guy who throws out, my idea is I want atmospheric landing. It's like, yeah, asshole, you and everyone else. Like, it's coming. Right. It's going to take a That's a serious commitment. But, like... If someone says, I want bookmark bars, and then someone else, for example, Roy Cookson from, from My Squadron, who yesterday said in the Discord, like, I hate when I'm doing power play that I have to sit there and click to buy 10 of this thing and then pay money to jump to the next and buy 10 of this thing and pay money. And I told him, I was like, Roy, a lot of the guys that do power play, you just set up a macro on your keyboard and like you're, it'll it'll just do that. Like buy 10, boop, buy 10, boop, buy 10, boop. And like just uh -huh. set it up and then go make a burrito and come back in 10 minutes and you know you've got all your stuff and he's like yeah i get it but like i shouldn't have to that's dumb i really wish that they i get the idea of them saying you have to buy 10 at a time because it's a credit sink and they're trying to pull sort of credits out of the game as a as a overall design philosophy i don't have a problem with that but for me it would be much better if i could just say buy 800 and they said it's going to cost you this much and you just click once and say yes it would just be right. cleaner and easier yeah so it, it, let's say those are two ideas that we are, are randomly we throw onto the thread the the quality of life change of the month or change of the 60 i don't know quarter whatever you, you pick a title quality of life change of the month and then i throw my idea that i want bookmark folders roy throws his idea about cqc buying in bulk for your for your material your propaganda material whatever and you guys as developer or as as community managers could pull out like eight of the ideas and take that back to the devs and say hey these are eight things that we thought were fairly clever that look to us like they're not that sort of difficult to accomplish <clears throat> what do you think and the devs might actually come back to you and say well okay mr not knowing how computers work one two and four are completely easy we could we could knock that out if that's a big deal that people are calling for three five six and seven are stupid hard to do because of this that and the other and you'd be like oh shit we didn't know okay cool so yeah we've got these three options now are ones that we think are like really sort of doable which one like drop one of those that you think is not as doable and people could you know the devs could be like all right uh that one just hold on to that one for later you give them the choice between a or b now and then you guys could come back and post and say here are results for uh you know um may 2020 for the community I don't know, give it a title, the, the community design of the month or whatever, and then say, do you want 
bookmark bars for your exploration? Or do you want buying CQC propaganda in bulk or whatever? And then you just give sort of a brief description of, of what each of them means. And then people on the forums could actually vote. And this could be good from the standpoint of it gives people always feel happier when they feel like they're, they have some say in steering the ship. And yep. people also feel happier when they're getting sort of continual feedback. Whereas if you get something every month, even if it's a small, minute thing where it's like, dude, you don't see, we're working on these 800 projects to release in December. That's awesome. But people love to see like, what did we get this month? We got this new shiny this month. And even if it's a small thing, they they attach to that. It gives you a little hit of endorphin that keeps you going, keeps you happy, keeps you content until the big hit comes with, you know, okay, this big release, this big whatever. So maybe, you know, then people, you could sit back and watch and see the numbers and people will like vote like, I want one, I want two. And maybe whichever, if it's A or B that you choose from, maybe, you know, A gets chosen, B doesn't, maybe B makes it into next month's round and it's like, okay, now B or C, you pick. And right that it makes people content it makes people feel heard it also i think drives a lot more people to join the forums because let me give you an example if it's an issue that is near and dear to my heart i'm going to tell i'm going to be posting it in discords everywhere guys go join the forum if you have to i don't care if you've only ever lurked register and vote for this issue please this issue is super important if you put an axi issue out there they're a uh you know, community, or if you put a trot and trucker idea, you know, out there, you're going to see a massive number of people signing up on the forums and voting for their little pet project, their little, right, you know, quality of life issue of the month. I think that yeah. could be a cool thing. I think that could be a very cool thing too. Um, and, and sort of yeah. the important thing is I built into it, into the concept, a break where you guys are just pulling out of thousands ideas of ideas and then choosing, you know, two or three or however you guys want to best run it to do, because I don't ever want to put you in a position where it's like, hey, we've got this great idea. And now someone says, I want this. And it's like, dude, that's going to be way, way hard. Whereas if you just filter out from thousands of ideas, the couple that you think are doable and then take it to the devs and they tell you which ones are actually doable. It gives you sort of a face saving where you don't ever get in where your back is to a wall and it's like, all right. Because I mean, if none of the ideas, it's like if the devs tell you like none of these eight work, go back and find eight more. You could you could obviously do that. Yeah, sure. Um, in principle, I like it a lot. I think in practice, there are some things that need to be worked out. Mm. Um, Just basically more work, more time cost. That's that's one of the things. So, yeah, of course, it requires a commitment from the development team to dedicate their time purely to, to quality of life, um, mm -hmm. which they may, may be able to do. Um, they may not. Again, it depends on how tight their schedule is. Um, but uh, so one one of the things that really surprised me when I joined Frontier was the issue tracker, actually. Mm -hmm. um, not the fact that it exists, but the fact that it's public. Um, I found that to be obviously very transparent, which is a good thing. 
um, but also very brave because it's not just a list of issues, it's a list of promises. Um, it's, it's a list of individual things where we're saying, okay, we've heard you say this is an issue. Um, and the implicit promise there is that it's going to get fixed at some point. Um, so it's also a list that holds, holds us accountable. Um, and given that constraints in the development team, in the release schedule, um, and things that we, we discussed earlier, so like the impact of a change versus how much time it will actually take to, to do because of spaghetti code or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's, like I say, very brave to have a list like that holding you accountable. Um, and I think you would be creating something quite similar here with a thread of call changes that the players want. So the way the way it worked at Jagex, um, and the community team actually usually took the lead on this, was we would have a backlog of suggestions, um, quality of life suggestions for the most part. Um, and it wasn't public, uh, but we would do a poll with, I don't know, on average, maybe say 20 suggestions on there. Um, and we, we would choose those based on the ratio of impact versus development cost mm. um, for the change. And then we'd also factor in how relevant it is. So that would be based on how long players have asked for it. Um, mm -hmm. Is it something players are asking for a lot right now? Um, so we're, we're looking for as big a win as possible mm. Um, mm. and trying to get as many as possible done. Um, and it's, it's quite a process. And then we choose all of those things. Um, mm and then make them public and people would vote on each one if they wanted it or didn't. Um, the difficulty, and it, it worked well for the most part, the difficulty comes when not all players see each change the same way. Um, different play styles and different leanings mean some changes are more important to you than others. Even if you think something's a positive change for the game, if it's not relevant to you, um, your incentive is to vote no because more time is then going to be dedicated to things that will directly affect you. Mm. Um, mm. And that's that's always the interesting thing about getting players to vote on something is you're not asking the player base to vote on something, you're asking individuals and their individual motivations may not necessarily align with the health of the game um, or what's actually best for the whole. Um, so if we were to make a thread of suggestions, which I'm not against because it's always good to know literally all of the little granular changes that, that uh, people have in their minds. Um, but I would, you would need to give a lot of thought to how you choose which ones you bring to the dev team and suggest. If you, if you do it through popular votes, well, the issue with that is the biggest group who has a, an inclination for a particular change will mm. win. Um, yeah. you've also got the differences so obviously the PvP community is much smaller than the general community mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and that was one of the fundamental issues with the polling system in old school I think it still is is that they're underrepresented and their motivations are directly contrasted to the, the general player base so mm -hmm. all their stuff always mm -hmm. gets voted no so yeah. if, I'm, if I'm a yeah. normal player 
I don't want the PvP guy to have a, a cool new sword to kill me with. You know, <laughs> doesn't make sense for me. Um, makes sense. So, with those things in mind, I, I would I would want answers to those questions first. So, how much commitment can I get from the development team to, to actually work on quality of life changes, so mm. that the thread doesn't just become a list of promises that aren't going to be filled? Um, and the second thing is a very well as close to a balanced system for selecting the changes that get brought forward as possible, which would yeah. take some yeah. some planning, I think. But in principle. Um, I mean, I'm always going to be in favor of transparency and making sure you guys are heard and knowing what changes you would like. Well, with regard to like, oh, well, you know, this community is underrepresented, so their their thing isn't ever going to rise to the top. I definitely get that. But like, this would not be, you know, okay, we're going to scrap our whole philosophy of how we make changes. It, it, this is just a addendum. This is just a one-off of like, hey, man, this is a cool little gimmick of every month you get a thing or every two months or three months, whatever you get a thing okay. and people get to vote. And then obviously, <clears throat> like I said, um, it's skewed in favor sort of, of the company having a, a, a choice process of upfront, a screening process or a filter, if you will, so that <clears throat> you guys pick sort of two things that you think it's like, okay, I, we feel like, that these are both sort of equally good and valid and not overly difficult and whatever. So these are going to be the two things that we give them to choose from. It's not going to be, again, it's not going to be just everyone nominate your thing and everyone vote on everything nominated because then, you, yeah, you're definitely going to get into a position where people are going to be like, well, what I want is uh, every time I shoot down a pirate, you know, it drops loot and it this, that, and the other. And it's like, okay, that's a cool, totally cool idea, but that's going to involve a whole lot of extra work. Sure. You know, this, this is just, you guys can pick two things that, or, or, or you guys can pick a, a group of things and then filter it down to what is most sort of whatever, like, okay, this is good. This fits within our design philosophy and is, is something we can do. But it's just... All of this is just a thought, man. There's a whole, you know, look at Eve where you've got <clears throat> the, the what do you call that? The, the player council or whatever. They're actual, there's a, right. a council of representatives. You've got Star Citizen right now is having their election for their imperator. Um, like the guy who's going to be the emperor of, I, I don't even know how that works for an alpha, but like, uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> Sounds whatever, cool. cool. Like, awesome. Uh Jagex with with what they're doing with OSR, you know, you have. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot of companies that are leaning into the idea, and to some extent, you have to do it like openly and honestly. And to some extent, it is a sort of calculated PR move of like, this is going to buy us this much brownie points, and. <clears throat> I don't think that it either exists in a vacuum. Like if you do it just as a PR move, then it's a, it's going to fail eventually. If you do it just as a completely open and honest whatever without calculating how you can maximize its PR value, then you're just not taking every step you can to maximize value for the company. So like that's that's also not good. Like you have to find that middle ground. But sure. um, I don't know. It's just the thought of it would be a cool thing that I think, as you said, um, basically there's been a while where people have 
felt like, oh, you know, Elite Dangerous is stagnating or this, that, and the other, whatever. Some projects got pushed back, some things, whatever. And I feel like, honestly, right now, there is a lot of negative sentiment in the community among people who are still playing the game, who still like the game, but are very sort of hypercritical of Frontier right now. And I'm seeing it a little differently. I'm seeing... I think uh, fleet carriers are going to be an awesome addition to the game in June. I feel like with the changes you made, like day one, beta one, I would not have bought a fleet carrier. And I said that openly on, on our show. I said that I'm, right. I'm not going to buy this. These these numbers need to be changed, this, that, and the other. But I said, also, if you ask me right now, do I think I'll buy one day one of launch? I do, because I feel like while these parameters aren't they don't fit my use case i believe that they will be changed by the, through the development process through the beta process and where they end up in june is a thing that i will want so <clears throat> it's it's nice to hear you had that optimism i know a lot of players were dubious that frontier would actually <laughs> listen and make the, the feedback changes um again that probably comes from stuff that predates my my sure. time. Um, but I think that something but, like uh, this could sort of be a thing that helps to turn some of that sentiment around. Stuff like this so. where people... I think so. You know, and I, I honestly, I feel like what's coming in New Era is going to be just... I, I, I think people are going to be super, 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 like, shocked with the scope and 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 sort of the awesomeness of it. And I feel like it's going to be, I'm very, very, very hopeful for what's coming. Um, it's its a big deal. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 And I also feel like <clears throat> people are viewing fleet carriers through the context of new era elite dangerous and saying like, okay. well, I don't see how this has use or that has use or whatever. And I see fleet carriers as a very smart, and very sneaky, sneaky, uh, unannounced beta test for a lot of stuff. Like, mm. you, like, Elite Dangerous has never had storage before. Fleet carriers have storage. Right. Elite Dangerous has never had direct player trading before. Fleet carriers right. have direct player trading. Elite Dangerous has never had a usable commodity before. Tritium is a very usable commodity. So, for example, I'm just gonna point out some things here. If I were smart and a computer developer, game developer, and I wanted to introduce storage to my game, I would look at the history of other games that have added storage to an MMO or to a game. And I would see, holy shit, this huge duping scandal in WoW. Holy shit, this huge duping scandal in EVE. Holy shit, this huge duping scandal in Final Fantasy. Well, how does that work? Well, these real smart and clever dudes figure out a way where like I deposit gold into my guild bank and then it, I have some program on my computer that you know at exactly 0.87 milliseconds after I make the deposit it pulls my internet router and then it causes some functional error where now the, it, it shows that I have 100 million gold in my guild bank and still 100 million gold on my character when I log back in in a minute later and like right to me, when people say, like, everybody should have storage, it's not just the fleet carriers. It's like, if I were going to do this, the way I would do it is I would give DAV 
an, a, an extra army of, of people to like really look at it closely and then say, let's put storage on a thing that only, you know, 2% of our player base can afford right now. <clears throat> we're going to put it in there for six months and we're going to see how these monkeys break the box. You know, right. so that Dav and his army of people scouring the, the base can look at it and go, okay, wait a second. We're only watching, you know, we're watching 8,000 customers right now, 8,000 people that have fleet carriers, and we're watching what they do. And so it gives us a much smaller sort of group to search for when we're searching for needles in a haystack. And the needle is the guy breaking the game. And then you say, nice. hey, wow. Uh, Dev, uh, hold on, come here a second. This guy seems to have uh, figured out a way to generate uh, 40,000 low temperature diamonds in the last half hour. Like, hmm, let's deal with that. Let's be, as a company, let's be real smart about this. And number one, let's track how he's doing it. Let's not even ban him up front. Let's track how he's doing it. Then let's close that loop, but not even ban him. Let's let him keep going because if he's clever enough to break the box one way, he's probably the same guy that's clever enough to break the box a different way. And then maybe you watch him for a month or two and he breaks the box A, B, and C ways. And then you keep letting him break the box, but you close the loop. You don't kick him out. You wait, you wait, you wait. You let him be a nice unpaid beta tester of a high, of a, of a different level, a very high caliber, you know, troublemaker. And then... After you close all the loops and you let him go for like another solid month and you see him try and fail over and over and over to break the box. Now you say, okay, now I have a quality box. Now I'm going to kick his ass out. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, Yes, that, that would be ahead. a very smart way to go about it. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then when, let's say, I'm just going to make up something off the top of my head. This is not anything official. This is not what's really going to happen. This is just pie in the sky idea. New Era launches, and let's say it has, oh, I don't know, base building. You could uh -huh. say, hey, there are large bases that are either resource extraction sites where like a mining site on a planet or whatever, or another site that's like a large manufacturing site. But every player of the game gets player housing as like that. You pay, you plunk down your 40 quid, you get a player house. It's for free. There's no upkeep. There's no nothing. You get a player house. And the player house is a small amount of a vanity item. Like, oh, you got a set piece here of where, like, say, for example, they added space legs. You could walk around and sit on your space couch and say hi to your space wife and pat your space kid head and pet the space dog and whatever, and then fuck off and go out and do combat missions. But you could also have, say, I don't know, 500 tons or 1,000 tons of storage for free that every player could have. And maybe it's a little picket fence down on a moon somewhere, or maybe it's just a entity, a thing that exists within a Coriolis station where you go to that Coriolis, you dock, and you go to your space house, and you say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plunk down these Lavian brandies that I have because I'm doing rare trades, and I'm, I'm actually going to, my friend wants to go do AX combat, so I need to get rid of this this stuff. I'm going to dump it off here, switch over to a combat ship, and go to the Pleiades and, and get my Thargoid hunting game on. Like, you could use Fleet Carrier as a beta test unannounced to fix a lot of shit and make sure that it's really spot on and then introduce it to the wild, to the millions or whatever in New Era. Yeah, you absolutely could do that. Um, and that would be an example of very smart game development, I think. Um, mm. Not to say that it's that happening. Would, this is just a thought. 
It is, but it's a very, very interesting thought. Um, it kind of circles a bit back to when we were talking about um, how do you how do you develop smartly with such an old game going forward, and um, mm -hmm. yeah, forward thinking like that, which will lay the groundwork for anything you want to do in the future, is is very smart. Um, so when people say, yeah. "Well, I don't like the, with fleet carriers," I don't like. You know, that uh, if I'm selling stuff, I can only sell the stuff that I buy in these packs or this, that, and the other. And I would say, well, what if? You know, like, well, what's the point of a player market? No one's ever going to buy from me because I have to buy it from the factory and it's overpriced and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Mm. But how about what if in the future? Yeah, you it's it's very perceptive. I don't, I don't think everyone has the same... Um, insight or is necessarily thinking about the implications like you say fundamentally most <coughs> player trading personal storage and um, functional commodities are three massive game changers mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which have kind of been tucked in there um, <laughs> even if they're in limited sort of capacities uh, <laughs> and like you say if they were expanded or extended to the rest of the game it would it would be massive I think in-game economies in MMOs are a whole... Well, they're just a massive beast um, mm. and very complex and difficult <laughs> to, to work with, but they add such a cool layer to any game. Um, and yeah, that would, that would absolutely be a thing if the features that you mentioned on Fleet Carriers were extended everywhere. Um, and Fleet Carriers would serve as a really good test for them. But I'm getting, I think when, when we've presented fleet carriers um, as they are without any mention of anything like that, um, and when we're strictly not declaring any plans for anything like that, sure, um, sure. I, I understand players seeing what we've presented, taking it at face value and saying, well, I think here's what I think of this as it is presented to me now. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think that's valid. But at the same time, it's, it's interesting to hear your, your insights and what these I, uh, things might actually mean in the future. I feel like you sort of cut me off there on purpose because you were like, yeah, don't explain what you're about to explain. So I'm going to respect that <laughs> and not. I'll, oh, I'll just... honestly, I didn't. No, feel free. Oh. I, I didn't. Well, so, I apologize. No, no, that's okay. What I was thinking is like you say, okay, <clears throat> well, there's no point in buying stuff, you know, the, the shipyard to sell stuff because you're never going to sell anything. And it's like, well, right. As it stands now, that's accurate. Like it would be completely stupid to buy a car dealership where your business model is. I'm going to buy cars from Toyota for a hundred percent market price and then try to sell right. to other people for above market price because no one will ever buy your Toyotas. But right. in the future, if you had a situation where, oh, I don't know, you set up a manufacturing base and then you brought a bunch of resources to the manufacturing base and you started making your own Toyotas, then you could set right. the price for those Toyotas and sell them out of your fleet carrier dealership. And the, the sort of the model makes way more sense at that point. It makes you more self-sustaining. Sure, sure. <clears throat> yeah, that so. would make a lot of sense. I think even with the potential for all of all of that mm. being mm -hmm. there already, um, I would still like fleet carriers to get to a point where we don't have any defunct features. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's an absolutely valid criticism that the the market system 
is is likely to be seldom used. The the difficulty is there's the first layer of which we've discussed of players not spending as much time in open as they might because of the various dangers it has, mm. um, and then also just the the size of the Milky Way. You know, um, okay, there are going to be hot points where where people cross and meet far more often, but generally speaking. Um, it's difficult to know exactly how much trading will actually occur at fleet carriers, and some some people have predicted it's going to be almost insignificant, um, which I would consider a a serious issue. And I'm sure the dev team have taken that into account. Um, I wonder I wonder how much of the issue is an aspect of framing the way we look at fleet carriers. They've kind of been presented intentionally or not. Um, primarily as a way to make money and run a market. Um, and that's not really what a fleet carrier is. You know, mm -hmm. we don't really intend them to be roaming markets. They're meant to be fleet carriers. And I think one of like the, the key bits of feedback, and this was really nice to, to hear in the first place, and the devs, I think, really took this to heart, um, was fleet carriers would much better resemble what we're saying they're meant to be if um, different services came by default rather than the the market <laughs> if the market was say an extra then right then it seems a lot less like that's the point of a fleet carrier mm -hmm. um and i think presenting them in the way we have has has framed the way they're seen um in that aspect at least so i'm i'm keen to see how how that drives the direction moving forward I'm very gratified to hear you say that as with regard to the fact that the development team were quite intrigued and positive towards the feedback that a fleet carrier without a shipyard is actually more a floating mall. And whereas a fleet carrier with a shipyard is a thing that is properly labeled as uh, having the ability to carry your fleet. So I look right. forward to what may be announced in May with regard sure. to all of that. This is again, not a sorry for the the disclaimer again. This is strictly not a promise sure. for any particular changes. Nope. Um, yep. I'm just 100%. relaying conversations I've heard and had with, with the developers. Sure, sure. Feedback I've heard. No, no, I, I I completely get it. We are not announcing anything in this conversation. We're just talking about people's feelings and conceptual ideas and what have you. So. But um, yeah, for what it's worth, I heard that feedback and it totally clicked with me as soon as I heard it. I was like, yeah, I, I can't argue with that one. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel like the addition of, I, I feel like the idea of adding the marketplace to the commodities market to the standard loadout was more about the idea of we want, I, I would not be at all shocked, let's say, to see that they include the shipyard as standard services and don't make the marketplace as additional. They just keep the marketplace because I have a stinking suspicion that they really, really, for whatever reason, want us to test the market as much as possible so that they can see how we break the box because I would not be shocked at all in new era to have marketplaces be on every station and have players have the ability to just generate market orders with a discrete no upkeep cost but just hey man if you want to generate a market order there's a one time like just the same way as wow auction house or other games with their auction houses of right. 
if you generate a buy contract or a sell contract, there is a discrete fee. It's you generate your contract, it's 50 credit fee, 100 credit, 1,000, what X number credit fee, and you're off to the races. Right. But yeah, could testing be. it in a limited pool for six months would, would seem to me to be a prudent thing to do. That would be very prudent <clears throat> and intelligent. Mm. If that's okay. what you were planning. If that's what you were planning. Not to say that that's what we we're planning. Which brings us to the subject of... And I'm not talking about anything specific here. This is a general conceptual conversation. What do you feel is the real impact, potentially positive, but also very specifically negative, of leaks in video game development sort of terms and, and world? What do I think of leaks? Yeah, I mean, you've seen so, uh, we've seen leaks for like expansions of different games come out and I, I kind of feel like in certain ways it's like you might feel like you're helping out to like get some information to the community but you're really a taking taking away the ability of the company to frame how they want to release information in a way that is best suited to like making the product have the best sort of landing, stick the landing when it comes out, but also B, right. you're forcing a, 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 a company to be on a defensive posture where now they might release less information than they would have without it or whatever. Yeah, well, in fairness, you've already very beautifully <laughs> and aptly summarized um, my thoughts on leaks. Um, I know a lot of companies... Um, sort of create artificial leaks <laughs> which is which is funny that could be part of like a, a marketing yeah. Uh, yeah maneuver i guess mm-hmm. um like a viral i've campaign. never been i try to think of a time i don't think i've ever i planned one once when i was mm. at jagex it was an idea that uh was offered to me by one of my colleagues but we didn't end up doing it um is that was Jag- i can't remember why Please forgive me my, my ignorance on this. Is Jagex a privately held company or is it a public? Because I know publicly traded companies, that creates a whole other legality issue of of like, if you don't handle your disclaimers properly, like your releases of information properly, like that's literally like insider trading or somebody could get in legal trouble for that. Right. Oh, no, this, this, would, this wouldn't have been a leak in terms of... Um anything commercially sensitive ah, okay. for like a big release or anything like that. Mm. So it was very minor. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think I think you said it really well, which, which is um, you might think you're doing people a favor or if you're a bit less, um, if, if your moral compass doesn't point quite so north, you might be doing it for attention or whatever when you leak something but the impact of that either way um, like you say is taking away the studio's ability to present content in the way that they would like um, which can have a really negative impact Um, like we said earlier um, a lot of the way we communicate things especially around new releases is about setting expectations and if a leak sets an expectation um, then that sets players up for disappointment if something changes in the design or the development schedule 
or restrictions occur that say um, say an aspect of an update is leaked and then gets pulled. Mm. Um, we've now got that feeling we talked about where players feel like they've lost something when actually mm-hmm. all that's happening is they're being given something new but because of the expectation they had before um, they feel like they've lost something um, and that can happen with leaks um, so in general um, I don't like them I guess <laughs> but then I'm yeah. saying that as someone who works for a, a video studio video game studio with uh, with content mm-hmm. in the works <laughs> Yeah, man. It puts yeah. it puts you in an as, unfair as a, as a, position as a player. Um, it's <laughs> it's hot gossip, right? You know, yes. if I hear a leak about a game that I'm excited <laughs> about, I'm, I'm going to latch onto that and get excited about it. I um, am 100. So. percent I am 100 percent opposed morally to leaks and leakers, and I feel that it's bad and it should never happen. And I am also an entirely hypocritical person that will click on every <laughs> leak that ever comes out ever yeah man it's, it's, like, it's, it's, it's enticing what? right you want to know that you want to know as much as possible as a player but i think um, in course. the end though it really the, why do you click you click because you're hungry for information but right. if you click on that thing you might get one line of information but you may end up losing a lot more information that the company now feels like, well, we can't say anything because if we say anything, people are going to say, see, this confirms the whole thing. So I think in the end, mm. while you, it's obvious, yes, you're going to click because you want to know, the person who made it hurts the overall amount of what you are what you as a player get to know. I yeah. don't know. Maybe that's too meta. <clears throat> no, no, I think, you're, I think you're spot on. Okay. Now, here, we're going to wrap things up. We're going to just really screw with people's brains. I'm going to just say a random line of anything, and you give me uh, the corresponding food product that you think goes well with it. This is just this is just going to be... Products. Yeah, okay. this is going to be really just w- weird and bizarre. I'm going to say it. You, so, and you just say, you know, like you know, pizza or, or lasagna. And you, no explanation, no anything. This is just screwing with people. Ready? Right. Uh, fleet carriers. Um, potatoes. Okay. Uh, atmospheric landings. Uh, do you want? Do you want my like? Is this an association game where you want my like first food, or am I allowed to think about it? Uh, it literally is just you say anything at random, and it's going to torture people for the next six months while they try to read in some meaning into I this. I already that you forgot have my first answer. Then. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, Sorry. What's the second one? Atmospheric landings. Ooh, um, chilies. Okay. Uh, base building. Base building. Um, meatballs. Player controlled production in Elite Dangerous. Player controlled production. Mm-hmm. Like manufacturing, the ability to use a base to build stuff to sell in a market, for mm-hmm. example. Um, risotto. <laughs> okay. Uh, space legs or elite feet. You pick one. <clears throat> elite feet. Okay. Um, oranges. All right. First person shooters with Thargoids. <laughs> um, a food for first person shooters with Thargoids. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you a hint. The correct answer is guacamole. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. I'll take the stock answer then. <laughs> this is, 
people are going to just like literally tie themselves in knots trying to read. Well, see, he said oranges because there's going to be a whole forum thread. This is just me being cheeky. Um, All right. All right. Let me let me wrap this up. I want to wrap the whole thing up with with one final serious actual question to you. Right. Um, And again. I can't, I, I just make the disclaimer through the whole, anytime I talk to somebody from FDEV, I'm just disclaiming away. This is not official. This is not whatever. This is a general thought question. <clears throat> what do you think about Raxla as a concept? I mean, the idea of an intellectual property, a video game from 1984, creating a sort of mystery that is still sort of alive and and really thriving more now in 2020, damn near 40 years later. What what are your thoughts on that? And and just just go with it, anything. Okay, sure. Um, I think it was, I can't remember actually now whose interview or stream I was on, but someone asked about Raxler and we said, okay, we're gonna have to tie it up there. Sorry guys. I think that I think that's time. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that to you um, because you, you've you. asked a, a very nice, abstract, conceptual question rather than something about the content itself. Um, so, to have a legend, a myth, uh, a mystery like that in the game um, adds a really, really cool element that I don't think I've really seen elsewhere. Mm. Um, mm. I love the idea of something being out there for people to hunt and to find. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, and and we did touch on this a little bit before the before the stream. Um, you said that actually a lot of the thrill in this is is the hunt rather than um, the payoff. Like it may be the case that if that mystery is ever revealed or found, and that's the end of it, then that would actually be sad in some kind of way. And you were hoping for um, something to be found, mm-hmm. but only to leave more questions and more mystery. Yes. Uh, which I think yes. would be awesome as well. That's a really, really nice idea. I think you said something like it would be cool if we found like a, a big machine, like a, a gate or something of some kind mm-hmm. that requires further investigation to be to be opened. Um, and I find that to be really, really cool. Um, it's it's nice. It, it adds it adds a, a level to the game where throughout your whole exploration and, and journey in in the Milky Way, in the back of your mind, you know however slim there might be a chance that you stumble across something that no one else ever has and there's that potential for you to to find the next the next bit of information that that uh, just gets the whole thing going again and sparks new life into into mm-hmm. everyone's mad theories mm-hmm. and ideas about this thing awesome so yeah awesome. in short I love it that's very cool <laughs> I actually I particularly love the idea maybe someone has found something and is using what they found, but hasn't told anybody else. I find that idea very intriguing as well. <laughs> I, uh, as as a person that has lived in the internet world, I find it very hard to believe. Like that as a concept works so long as one person knows about it. The second it becomes two, that goes right out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today, man. This has been a great chat. Thank you. I've had a really nice time. I appreciate it. All right. And guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview. And to close us out, we have the song Legend by Miguel Johnson from his album Exodus. 
You can find a link to it in the show notes. I hope you enjoy it. Thank mm-hmm. you.